right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the NC Fit Collective Podcast. I'm here with a longtime friend, business owner, extraordinaire, JP. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank we're, you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. You know, JP has done a lot for the fitness industry. He's, he's, uh, him and I have done many seminars in the past with Box to Business. We're looking forward to doing more of those in the future. JP has a license model with Brick that has done really well. You have eight locations, is that correct? A seven in the U.S. Seven in the U.S. and I believe one in Spain. And so his model is slightly different from ours. You know, we don't we don't license out our name. He does, and so it's a nice opportunity to get in a good conversation today. Today we'll be doing a thirty minute AMRAP, and we're going to finish off the AMRAP with five things owners can do today to improve sales or improve their business. So stay tuned for that. We're going to start the 30-minute AMRAP, and um, we're just going to go back and forth, chit-chat like we would if we were having a coffee, just growing out without being on a podcast. Here we go. All right, JP. So we put out a few questions on the um, on the internets, and we got some questions coming in. And one in particular was, you know, where do we see this industry going in the next 5, 10 years? And, you know, I know your model shifted over the years. I know ours has as well. But, but where do you see the kind of boutique fitness side, the functional fitness, the where, where do you see this thing going? You know, that's a great question. Right now, I see boutique fitness, in a, if I can make an analogy or assimilate it to another industry, I see it similar to where frozen yogurt was when it first repopularized itself, right? Okay, and it, frozen yogurt. All right, got <laughs> it. See, follow me here for a second. Yeah. So when frozen yogurt first came back and started to really become popular, they were opening on every corner, right? And there was newer models that would come out or there would be a, a, a attempt at an older model with a new little twist on it, some better branding, or the, they had more probiotics in their yogurt. This one had self-serve machines where you could do all your own mixes. This one was unlimited toppings for X price. This one had a discount on toppings, but you got this much yogurt. And so at, at the end of the day, though, it was all frozen yogurt, right? And so once that industry got flooded with the same end product or attempt at, which was just delivering frozen yogurt, uh, people started to find themselves at where their favorite one was and really the weak kind of saw their way out of the market and the strong survived or the better branded or the ones that just happened to be in a better location, right? There wasn't always an exact recipe of why one necessarily succeeded and another one did it. Sometimes there was, sometimes there wasn't. So now follow me. This all comes no, back I, to No, I get it. I, I feel you. You're already feeling it? Yeah. All right. So now why do I say that? Because that's where I feel we are at right now in boutique fitness. We have all these different concepts that are opening up from spinning to spin lattes to spin boxing to spin yoga to uh, functional fitness based movements with other little knickknacks and tchotchkes and heart rate monitors and all these different things that people are implementing right yep. but at the end of the day we're all still serving fitness that's our yogurt right our frozen yogurt and so we're at a point right now where people are searching they're scratching and lifting up every rock for that other new t unlimited topping they can offer or what's the cute spoon they can serve it with or how do they paint the walls a prettier color to attract people or lower a price and at the end of the day that's ultimately what is going to serve some and beat down others and that's just the natural law of progression of business it's happened in many other consumer-based industries over decades and decades of this going on. You and I didn't invent this, right? And so if you were to ask me, I make that analogy and I see it, look at Pinkberry. They were exploding. It was the hottest shit out there, right? Probiotic-based yogurt. 
I don't know how many they've closed, but I know it's a lot of them because I see empty Pinkberry locations all over the place. And within a stone's throw, there's another mom and pop shop that survived or another large branded chain concept that survived. And you look at it and go, why did some work? Why did some not? And that's when you can go dig even further down into the schematics, the logistics of that concept. But at the end of the day, I look at us right now in the heat of that market. It happened in the martial arts when Karate Kid blew that market up, and it's happening right now. Well, and, and you, you bring up an interesting subject. So you talk about frozen yogurt. There's a frozen yogurt place by my house that my children like to go to. And in that particular model, it's not like Pinkberry. It's not like these other ones, Yummy Yogurt, et cetera. In this particular model, you go in and you get your toppings and they do it all for you versus self-serve, et cetera, right? And I know we're talking about frozen yogurt. Point being, though, is that this place has outlasted these these other locations with more money, more you know branding, et cetera. It's a mom and pop shop, but they do an excellent job servicing their customers. And so I think what's interesting about what you're bringing up is ultimately what it comes down to, I believe, is not necessarily the model. It's not necessarily the money. It's, it's, it's how it's executed on, right? And it brings us to a very simple question. Are people getting into this boutique fitness space, CrossFit and others, without necessarily the credibility or, or the, the background um, to be able to do so, right? They get into it because they're passionate about it, but they might not have the backing to really understand the next steps. And I think what we're seeing is, I've been on the phone recently with, hundreds and hundreds of gym owners. And in general, what I'm starting to see is that this, this passion for some is, is developed in this sense of resentment, like we talk about, where eventually they've gotten a place where the business isn't returning what they thought it was going to return. And now they're, now they're scrambling to figure out next steps. And I think it's a combination of things that make their gym successful. But, you know, in your opinion, as a, as a, as a gym owner, what do you believe is going to be the model that a traditional that a tr- traditional CrossFit gym could do to see profitability that's 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 enough to to live off of? I mean, there's there's already plenty that are doing it, right? But there's many, many, many that are not. What is the model for a traditional CrossFit box? Let's talk about that could get them to profitability, sustainability. Let's call that three, four hundred members, right? What, what what in particular do you think they need to have? And are you talking about an individual owner operator that's going to own one location and yeah. try to make a sustainable living I want off to make, of that? Can I make six figures opening one location that's 4,000 square feet? Can I make six figures as an owner operator? I'm coaching 10 hours a week and building the business the rest. What do you think? So uh, certainly if you get to the three, 400 member mark, then absolutely. If the pricing's right, there's no reason why you can't do that with a, a good CFO mindset you should be able to get to a point where you can get 30% net on that kind of return of your money and be able to see yourself making 120 grand, let's just say 10 grand a month mm-hmm. off of that. But as you and I both know, we like to do the math where we back off that number. So I would, I would tell people that just as you and I do in our seminars is they need to get themselves on a whiteboard, write the $120,000 mark up there and figure out back off that number, how you know, what kind of sales they have to do on a monthly basis taking into consideration EBITDA and all that they're going to have to deal with with tax concerns and liabilities and how that's going to look and what that attributes to in its realistic number of members to hit that target number. So if you've got to to make 10 grand take home for yourself, you're going to pull out, well, if I'm coaching 10 hours a week, that's 43 times 4.33, right? So it's 43 hours a month, let's say. And if I were paying another coach on average, let's say $50 an hour, 
you know, yep, that, that's including their burdens and whatever. Sure. Yep, so yep, you're yep. saving that kind of money. And again, you and I aren't swapping this math up real quick, but let's just say you were to do this math and you would start to be able to figure out, okay, I, I, I've got to put 10,000 up on the board because that's what I want to make. Then yep. I got to, I have another 8,000 in payroll. So now I've got to make that. I've got 6,000 in rent. I've got eight, you know, $800 in insurance and yep. liabilities. Cetera, and when you back in the numbers, right, for some of these guys, you know, they maybe didn't do this before they started the business, but they, they could today. Right. What they need to do is say, hey, look, what is my goal for sustainability? And, you know, talking as a business owner that's unfortunately, you know, gone through um, legal battles. We've had we've had one. Um, you know, you have one bad legal battle and it could scrap out your earnings for a couple of years if you're bringing home thousand, two thousand dollars a month. So for these gym owners that are searching for, let's just say for cigarment, a six figure check. Right. Let's call it 10 grand a month. They need to put that $10,000 mark up there. They start evaluating how many members is it going to take for me to get to the point where I could bring home that amount of money. That's right. hundred percent. Right. So let's just say you're charging 200 bucks a month, 150 bucks a month. You have X amount of square feet. And the way we like to look at it, and I know you do the same thing is we like to say, Hey, you know, it, we like to think that one person takes about a hundred square feet. So if you have, you know, 2000 square feet, you could have 15, 20 people per class. How many classes do you need? How often are people coming in? How many members do you need to accommodate your $10,000 goal? And what you might end up doing is looking at all the math and be like, dude, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. work. Right? And, I'm and, shit out of luck. Yeah, and you, and you might be better off, you know, reevaluating the business model, right? 100%. So that's why the short answer to, a lo to this conversation when you ask me what is the model that works, I, I would be doing a disservice to anybody listening to say that I have the model that works until I understand where your location is at, what your assumed interest is in take-home dollars, and then start to build out a proper mathematical equation that lets you know that you're going to have to do X to create Y revenue for your gym, which is going to allow you to take home Z number on a monthly basis. At the end of the day, you know, I think what's really important for every owner to understand is you got to know your numbers to grow your numbers. If you don't know, you know, how much credit card fees you're getting, you know, is it 3%? Is it 2%? Right? What's your average retention rate? You know, what's your, your attrition rate, right? I mean, th this is very important numbers to understand. It's not rocket science. You know, we're not in a, we're not an extremely complex business. We're in a very simple business. Membership revenue comes in. We service the hell out of them. And our goal is to keep them and attract new ones. And with each new member, generally our spend expenses don't really, in we don't really increase much. So our top line, our revenue, our, you know, our net income starts to really skyrocket. From That's that. right. And as long as you take into consideration what your liabilities are so that you can have that money put aside, which it may be X percent of your revenue every month gets put aside for a potential future legal liability and or <clears throat> rainy day. X percent gets put aside for uh, what you're going to look at for marketing budget, right? You, let's just look at standard percentages. But one thing I see people, because you and I have talked to hundreds of affiliates, they, they fail to recognize that you have tax liabilities too. Yep. And you need to know what all those are in your area because in places like New York and other states, they can get really intricate. And if something, a rule changes at a turn of a year and a year goes by and you didn't take that in consideration, that could be- penalties. There could be thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and listen, not everybody plays on the same size of scale, but when you scale it down or up, it all looks the same. So what could be a $3,000 year-end liability for one business could be massively detrimental to their their well-being 
just as on a larger scale, that could end up looking like a $30,000 tax liability to a much larger operation, and it's just as devastating. That's right. And I, I think what you bring up is a couple of very valid points. Number one is, well, let's talk about marketing and, and dollars and where they're, where they're well spent. But I want to talk about just, just adjusted earnings, just real briefly. When you really take your earnings, let's just say you're bringing home $3,000 a month as an owner, and you adjust it based on the risk, liability, and, and, and taxes, implications, et cetera, you know, what you're really making is, is not that, right? Because you could go and work for somebody else, make that same income, but without the risk and liability. Right. And so when you without actually- Without the stress levels, the cortisol fired up yeah, in your system. I think it's really important for every owner to make sure that when they're really evaluating their take home, it's adjusted based on that, right? And that's important. And as long as they're okay with that, then it's no big deal. But they should strive to be able to be in a place where they say to themselves, hey, for the work I'm putting in, for the risk and the liability, we are at a, we are at a, a, a net- revenue, profit, et cetera, that's comfortable for me. That's right. And here, I'm going to I'm gonna shake up, a, stir a few emotions. You know, I like to do that every mm-hmm. once in a while. Yeah. Be, keep it on the real, real, right? So let, we'll take that half step back. You're talking about seeing people's adjusted earnings and incomes for owners, right? And now we see that we have a lot of people that ask us, you and I get this question all the time. How can we create better pay, pay scale structures for our staff members so that we can create a more long-term sustainable career and trajectory for them to stay, et yep. cetera, right? Yep. We have all these leveling criteria that we use, yada, yada. Then we take a step back and go, wait a minute. You're just talking to, you're talking to us telling us that you're, you're taking home four or five grand a month on best, you know, and maybe you're in a city that is average cost of living and you're pulling down 60,000 60, bucks a year. So after taxes, your take home and you're a, gro- you know, you're a grown individual with potentially a family or other grown adult responsibilities. And I say, well, how do I attract a 20-year-old, 19, 20, 23, 25-year-old coach to want to do this and see that they potentially have a, a successful career here, but I'm barely making it as an owner. Right. You know, and, and, and so before we even were to get into the seven pages of, you know, job leveling criteria and how to create these awesome pay structures to create a sustainable career for your, your staff, you have to look at it and go, your business, you have to ask if your business is even in a place where it should be worrying about that. Well, you brought up a good point earlier, which is sacrifice, right? And I think as an owner, it's important to realize that there's going to be sacrifices if you decide to, to, to start a business. And I think those sacrifices include time with your family, training time, right? You're not going to be able to work out five hours a day and start a new business. It's just not right. going to happen, right? Like if you look beat, you're eating beet food, driving a beater piece of shit car, and you live in a, in a, in a beet home. That's hard to attract a young guy, you know, young guy or gal that's super hungry and is studying and trying to get, you know, kick-ass educated and they've got access to social media and they see all these other people in the fitness industry that are excelling and kicking ass and they're showing up, you know, and they got like Hobo Joe that is their leader. That's going to be hard to create. Like, don't even worry about trying to create a sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I I think all of that plays into it, right? You need to look the part, act the part, right? And not that's not even talking about like fancy stuff, right? You don't right. need fancy stuff. You see it come to work looking professional, looking clean, right? Shaven, etc. But but I think that the and big, fired up. And fired up. But I think the big thing that we need to talk about is, you know, as an owner, it's really it's really an important question that every owner needs to ask himself is who is responsible to grow your business? And ultimately for 99.9% of us, it's going to be us meaning no one else is responsible for growing the business. No one else is the chief de- business developer except for us. And you might have assistant coaches, you might have coaches, et cetera. But if you're in charge of growing your business and your business is not growing, you need to take a step back for a second, reflect and realize where is my time best suited and how do I grow this thing? Because 
you know, ultimately, to your point, you can have the best job leveling criteria, you could create the highest trajectory for your coaches. But if as the owner of the business, you are not able to create your own sustainable income, it's gonna be challenging for you to create that for anybody else. That's right. And then you talk about sacrifice. And that's a really that's a real hot button for me, because we hear people all the time saying, Oh, but you know, I, I'm sacrificing all this extra time for X, Y, and Z. And I said, that's bullshit, man. That's not a sacrifice. You're doing what needs to be done to get your business to where it needs to be. If not, you're actually sacrificing the livelihood of your own wellness and your family's well-being. A re- you know, like a day-to-day given sacrifice is like s- servicemen and women that are out there putting their life on the line. That's sacrifice. But getting to show up to a, a place where you've already been gifted the opportunity to start your own business in a free country where you've got some sort of means available to you where you're able to go do it and give it a shot, that's not a sacrifice. That's a luxury. That's an opportunity that's, that's opportunity. been granted to you. Yeah, so yeah, you, you shouldn't yeah. take that for granted. You should show up and be ready to kick ass every day. And if you show up at 79%, then you're not sacrificing shit. You're letting <laughs> opportunity fly away from you for somebody who lent you money or sacrificed something of theirs to help you with that opportunity, right? But that's how you have to look at it. Like people always say, oh, but I'm sacrificing, you know, time with my my girlfriend or boyfriend. I said, that's not a sacrifice. That's what you're supposed to do in life. That's what you're, that's your job. That That's what you do to experience the luxuries that come with the opportunities that you took the time to invest yourself in more than someone else. Because if you're not willing to do it, you know damn well that someone's behind you ready to do it better than you. And there's a lot of people coming into the space, right? There has been a lot of people coming into the space. And I think, you know, I think you, you spun it really well there, right? A lot of people look at it as sacrifice, but I look at it as opportunity. You know, every day, you know, we are, we are blessed to be able to do what we love for a living, right? To have coaches that do what they love for a living. There's not many people out there that could say that same thing. But I think at the same time, you, you, you need to take it, the onus on yourself, take responsibility, right? Be a grown up and realize that, you know, this business comes with a lot of risk and liability. And, you know, if you're listening to this and your business isn't in a place that you feel like it's as successful as it could be, get out there and do something about it. That's right. right? Don't, don't, don't blame anybody else because you chose to get into business. No one forced you to sign a lease for seven years, personally guaranteeing it. You chose to make that. So now choose to get out there and go tell people about your business. You know, JP, back to marketing real quick, just so we can give some people some tangible items. You know, we're opening a new location here um, in Campbell, May 1st, right? So very soon. And we put out on social media, we did some paid ads, $99 for the first month. We've gotten a good response. But what we do is we put it up for a day or two. If the response isn't as good as it should be, we change this, we flip the script. We try a new ad. We check that out for a couple days. Boom, if that's not as good, boom, we switch it. And if it's doing good, which it has been, Ali's been doing a good job with it, we keep it going. But but point being is we're spending, you know, a lot of owners will say, I don't have enough money to spend on that marketing. I would say, okay, let me tell you a real life example. We spent, we put a budget, $250? Yeah. $250 on a budget. And we attracted um, eight leads off that budget. And we we signed up four of them. If our average lifetime value of a member is, let's just say 15, what is yours, like 15, 1600 bucks? Yeah, we'll give take or, it for easy math. Give, yeah. give or take, right? Then that, that tells me that if I'm, if I'm spending, in this particular case, $70 to acquire that member, right? I mean, it's a no-brainer if the average lifetime value is $1,500. 
And I think, um, not to jump ahead, but that's one of the five things owners can do is to um, create a referral program for your members, right? Right. And let me just back that up too, because people back up your statement, because people think when they hear about Brick and Los Angeles' first location I opened, they think, oh, big fancy space. It was in LA. Easy, right? It was easy for JP. What a lot of people don't know, man, is I just moved back from Florida, right? So I didn't have a history in the LA area of being any type of fitness guy. I'd been gone for almost 10 years out of the area. So when I moved back, and plus I was from the Valley, which was 30, 40 minutes away. So when I moved back into the city and opened up a location in the city, it wasn't like I had a, a background of notoriety in the area of being a fitness guy. I was jumping into a pool of sharks. As people know, LA, like New York, is a hotbed of fitness. Right. I went in there, and we signed that location you know, on, on Santa Monica Boulevard in LA. One of the first things I did for 100 and probably 25 bucks, printed 5,000 you know, high quality, well designed postcard flyers that at the time I probably had a friend design for me. Yeah. You know, had them shipped in. I didn't even remember the name of the place it was called PK Graphics. They're still in business. It was like 125 bucks for 5,000. Me and my first staff member, who was my front desk, first front desk employee, uh, her and I went out and we pounded the pavement every single day for like 45 days till we open and we're just handing out flyers telling people hey this is what we're going to be doing it's yeah. going to be awesome and, and be even great. for an hour even for one hour right we were just out there doing it and i got to tell you man i you can believe not believe in the spiritual side of things and manifestation but by throwing that energy out there with actual action i believe that called humans into our space, and we were out. We were all over the neighborhood, flyering cars in proper areas. Yep. We didn't touch competitor, competitive parking lots, and we did it. And we spoke passionately about what we were doing, and we got people through the door. And then, the, and this is, and remember, this is even before the height of Instagram and social media yep, yep, yep. marketing. Well, you you took the grassroots approach. I mean, one thing to note: obviously, I check with your local governance about. Um, flying cars, but one thing we we looked into for our new location is uh, door hangers. Yeah, right. Nothing Just wrong with that. Pound right? pavement. And, and and I think what you bring up is a really good point. Owners love to overthink marketing. They love to overthink it. What do I say? What do I do, dude? Just go start a conversation. So I I went across the street to an apartment complex from Campbell, and I drove up there, and the lady's like, "Hi." I was like, "Hey, my name's Jason." I'm from right across the street, just want to come over, shake your hand, let you know who we are. We're coming into your neighborhood and this is your home. I wanted to come and extend my arm. You know, we'd love to have you come by, try out a class, blah, blah. And now you become friends with them, right? You show them this common courtesy and respect. Like, you know, when someone comes into your home, you know, you want to, sh- you know, and, and now all of a sudden they're going to start telling their, their um, apartment uh, tenants about it, right? It, it, but, but all it took was instead of me being fearful and saying, oh, I don't have the right pitch, I don't have the right collateral. All I need to do is go over there and start a conversation. You never know where it's going to go. And, you know, you combine that, like what you're saying with flyers and just going and talking to people. You know, I believe every owner out there, I do believe this, believes their product is changing lives. I do believe that. Or sure. else they wouldn't be in the business. That's right. We, we hope that that's how they feel. So let's assume for the sake of argument, everybody believes that. That's right. I believe that. I know you believe that. Then why wouldn't you go out there and go tell as many human beings as you could, about all the wonderful things you have going on in your gym. Because yes, you have social media, but but no one's gonna know. You know, if you go down to a Starbucks right now, even in the Bay Area, we you know, we have some good saturation, but I guarantee if I go to a Starbucks and I ask every person in line if they've heard of NC Fit, guaranteed maybe, maybe one, if that, right? So now all that's and that gives me an opportunity to invite 10 people to come by for a class. 
So yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? You just hit the nail on the head. One of my old mentors used to always say to me, he goes, listen, if you're an owner operator in the early phase of, phases of your business, if you're not meeting seven to 10 people a day that could become future clients of your business, you're, you're slowly going out of business. You're not actually trying to get into business. Once you're open and operating and you're busy, you can cut that in half to like three to five people a day. That's your maintenance level. And then once you're in full success mode, then your goal as an owner operator should be at least intentionally meeting one person a day that could potentially be a client. And that's just sparking up conversation. And that's just putting the energy out into the universe like, hey, I'm the owner, but I'm still involved. I still passionately care. And you may benefit from this awesome product that I have that you probably don't know about. So owner, I'm talking to you. If you're sitting in your gym right now and it's 9 a.m. and the gym is, has no one in it, or maybe it's 2 p.m. and there's no one in there, I'll encourage you to get up, leave the gym, and go talk to a local business about who you are and what you do. And then after that, go grab a coffee. And when you grab a coffee, go talk to the barista. Give them some one-week trials to your gym and let them know the programs you offer and why you offer it. Start there and do that several days a week just for one hour a day. No big deal. And I guarantee you'll see a direct return on your investment which in this particular case has no financial implication. It's just your time. That's right. And a little humorous twist is they might also find out that they're just really terrible at being social and or some people find them to be an asshole, right, in a social <laughs> setting. Now, I say that with a little humorous twist because what it will do is maybe push them or motivate them to acquire tools to help them be better at presenting themselves in front of people because not everybody is great at uh, cold introductions and communicating their product, but the more they practice, whether it's in front of a mirror, videoing themselves on their iPhone, and or getting out in front of people, the better they'll get at it. And Jason, you and I know, man, we videoed ourselves a thousand times, and even to this date, we'll rehearse certain components of things that we want to talk about, not just always riffing and Swiss cheesy. And I think that's important for new business owners or people that are not seeing their business where they want it to be. Go out and acquire tools that will help you be better at being an owner operator, a leader, and even more importantly, a communicator. Because if you can't communicate well uh, through your physical motions, right, your, your physical aesthetics, and you can't through your verbal communication, it's going to be very tough to grow a product that's based on human interactions on a floor. Yeah, I mean, I was very blessed that at an early age, I, I did sales at a traditional gym. So I'm very comfortable getting out there and explaining our product. I don't look at it like I'm selling anybody. I'm just passionate about something. I want to share that passion with other people. But if you're someone out there, if you're an owner and you, let's just say you're a good coach, well then obviously you have some type of charismatic, I assume, piece to you. But you know what you need to do is get comfortable with uncomfortable, right? Go out there and go shake some people's hands. And after you do it for a while, just like anything, just like training, you start to become more fluid, more adapted to it. You know, I'll give you a good example with our new location rolling out a buddy and I at the gym, we kind of have like a friendly wager going on and we kind of talk crap to each other. We're trying to see who could, you know, basically get a higher amount of leads and, and conversion rate for this location. We're making it a friendly wager, but ultimately I haven't done sales for our gyms in a very long time from a one-on-one -on -one basis. And so I had a little, I was a little rusty but I wanted to get comfortable with uncomfortable. I wanted to meet with these people individually to get real feedback and be able to be on the front lines of what's going on in the business. Yeah, man, it, it, it's crazy though. You know, it's crazy to think that if you were to take somebody who's got lots of money at stake and even more than money, just well-being at stake in their business, and you say, hey, maybe you're not that great or at acquiring leads or you're not doing that great at uh, converting people into actual memberships, take some time 
So set out an outline of what that communication should look like, your key points, memorize them, study them, and film yourself delivering them to your friend or in the mirror. And nine out of 10 times, most people won't do it because there, there's something, some fear factor, some false emotion that's holding them back from even practicing that. And then you go, man, how can you expect your business to succeed if you're not even willing to just you know, put yourself in an uncomfortable position for a few minutes. You're willing to put potentially tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake, but you won't film yourself so that you can polish up a product that's going to be your insurance policy for all of this money. Yep. And that goes for sales, but also goes for coaching, right? Oh man. I mean, if, if you're not holding yourself accountable, if you're not reviewing, if no one's reviewing your coaching, right? Then, then how do you, how do you improve your product? Right? I mean, you can go to seminars and you could take on lessons. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the ones that cross the puts on, I think are phenomenal, but I mean, I think filming yourself in the gym lets you see the things that you might not notice. Are you on your phone? Are you crossing your arms? Are you, you know, not paying attention to the new people, only paying attention to the old school people or not paying attention to the old school people, only paying attention to the new people. You might be able to recognize that if you filmed yourself, you got to put yourself out there and be open to it. Right. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, so we have two minutes left in this 30 minute email or excuse me, AMRAP, you know, I'm a fan of the email, but I think we've touched base on a lot of stuff. I mean, basically you and I, we can go back and forth on this kind of stuff for days. We're very passionate about the business of fitness, but you know, I want, I want to talk about one thing briefly. And then I want to close out with a few things we've been talking about town hall and survey. So you had a question about, um, you know, basically communicating with members. Yes. Uh, one question was how do you deal with the difference between a, somebody who gives you a recommendation, right? They're giving you their feedback or somebody who's actually coming to you with a complaint. Yeah, and I think I think two easy things that uh, uh, gyms overlook are anonymous surveys, right? If you haven't done one in a couple of months, put one out there and see what's going on. And what's nice about surveys is you could always kind of shift them a little bit based on where you want it to go. That's right. right. Um, but also town halls. So for example, we have a big town hall going on in two days from now that we're announcing something relatively large at one of our locations. and. You know, you get in there, you stand up in front of people, you say it like it is, and people respect that, just hitting it head on and right. instead of like beating around the bush. That's right. And as long as there's 100% transparency and clarity with the message being delivered, then you have to accept the response as it comes in, but people will appreciate the clarity that you're providing to them. That's right. Right. So with the last minute here, five things based on the conversation we're having, I think paid social media ads. Um, at a very micro level, we're talking 100 bucks, 50 bucks, have performed very well for us. I know they have for you as well. Something owners can try. What's something else you could think of? Second thing I would do is go through your list of people that have quit in recent past, could be the historicals of your entire existence, and send them a fun call to action offering to come and check your place out, see our new expanded schedule, some new cool equipment we got, a new class, meet a new coach. Whatever the reason is, is being that you need to send out this cute little email campaign, get it out to them. It doesn't cost you anything, but a, a few minutes of your time to assemble that list and send it out to them and get a few of those people back in your gym. So following up the cancellation, second huge thing that you guys could do instantly to drive an ROI for your business. Another thing I would recommend is again, during those dead hours, get outside your gym, go talk to someone at Starbucks, get outside your gym, go talk to someone down the street, go share your passion, go share your love for the fitness and what you guys are doing down the street. That's right. And I'll, I'll build on that. I'll give a B section to that same concept is let them create a competition with their staff. Should they be at a size where they've got other people that are employees, find off hours where they can actually have a fun competition with their employees to go acquire leads. And maybe for every 10 real leads, or as we used to call them like hot leads that they would get that end up coming in for a basic intro. They don't even have to sign up. Maybe they get a hundred dollar bill 
for your staff member. Listen, if you get 10 hot leads that show up to do an intro, whether or not they sign up, you're going to get 100 bucks. If they sign up, you get another $100 per human that signs up to this to this gym. Now you're creating fun incentives to your staff that isn't necessarily giving the farm away right away, and you can always build on from that. So guys, we could keep going on with this stuff for days and days and days, but I want to summarize one key thing before we take this thing offline. JP said it best. As owners, we chose to take on this, this role. We chose to take on this business, so it's up to us. It's up to us. We have... We are blessed to have the opportunity to go in there and make a difference. And um, you said it best. It's not a sacrifice. It's an opportunity. That's right. And, and if I can follow up with that uh, on one thing as well is as owners and as operators, as you are searching information, as opposed to just reaching out and looking for the answer, do research first because that's going to be the easiest way and the most efficient way to educate yourself on how to potentially problem solve it when the next one arises. So as opposed to trying to reach out to let's just say a, a Jason or myself, a version of us, and say, hey, do you guys have a copy of this thing that we could use that would help this? First, take, a ta- take an a- a attack and approach it on your own. See what comes out. It might actually be better for, of something than you may have borrowed. The internet is filled with information. Use the Googles to, you know, to your advantage and try to educate yourself on how to be a better business owner. Once you've done that, then reach out to other business owners on how to help you go from there. So as we always say, guys, keep rising the tides. Let's keep making it happen. The boutique fitness industry is adapting. It's evolving, but it's growing. Keep crushing it. Have a great day. JP, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Hopefully I'll be back soon. We can keep chatting.